0: on this edition of magic pod squad myself david Steele, jeff turner we catch up with high performance director david Tenney for the orlando magic and we're going to get a little behind the scenes look on this magic medical and training staff uh this new world of analytics he'll break down his analytics team Uh, and also a little inside look into when the magic acquired markel fultz what the body of work looked like from the time of the acquisition Till the time they were able to get them back on the floor for training camp. Uh, some great insight in behind the scenes look on this Orlando Magic medical and training staff with high performance director David Tenney on this edition of Magic Pod Squad. This is Aaron Gordon of the Orlando Magic. This
1: is Evan Fournier. This is Jonathan Isaac. This is Mo Bamba. Check out what's new with the Orlando Magic Pod Squad. The host of characters give you a behind-the-scenes look at Magic Basketball. The Magic Pod Squad has you covered. Subscribe and rate on iTunes and the Google Play Store today.
0: And welcome to another edition of Magic Pod Squad. Uh, We're going to get into a couple of different topics here today. My name is Dante Marcatelli. We don't have George Galante with us, but we do have David Steele. We got Jeff Turner, and we're going to talk to David Tenney, high performance director for the Orlando Magic. And, and really, that whole industry, that field, that high performance field is is something we're going to break down, and and uh, really look forward to getting into that, the advancements that have been made. But first of all, did you get a workout, David? Did you get a workout in the hotel gym today? That is most first, important.
2: Well, first, thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> uh, with the uh, all-day flight straight into practice in Toronto, I have not had the opportunity, and... I'll, I'll be really honest with you. I mean, coming here and doing this podcast might mean that I miss out on the workout. Yeah,
0: like, well, you didn't. You have to make but sacrifices. we'll see him tomorrow after We'll see him tomorrow. Day,
1: just like we always do. And he helped
0: himself to the cookies, right, when he walked into the room. So, oh, the difference
1: uh, <laughs> with Dave and me is that he misses his workout and I'm missing a nap. So that's, I think there's a big difference. So I I've, I've found
0: a way to inconvenience everybody. <laughs> okay, well, fantastic. Well, that's great. Well, I guess, Dave, for, for Matt, you've, you're going into year three now. We've kicked off year three for you here in Orlando, but obviously you're no stranger to this field in this industry but but give magic fans a, a little background uh, kind of how how you got started and uh, kind of a little insight into who is dave tenney
2: um yeah i mean i think first my my background is was as a soccer player i you know, played virginia tech three years tried to play in germany minor leagues of germany a couple of years some of the indoor pro soccer um whatever you call that uh uh travels for you know like seven years and uh hit 29 and decided I couldn't do that anymore and had to go Mm -hmm. back to school and um and obviously as as an ex-athlete trying to get into the training and maximizing the the little athletic talent that I had you know uh
0: you're a goalkeeper right
2: you were yeah five foot eleven goalkeeper that couldn't jump that well so (laughs) Had some limitations that I had to try to, you know, pose some questions, and I think that were the
0: corners a problem, the high corners was that a problem? Well, let's
2: just say why that's why I ended up indoors. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but, um, you know, I ended up going back to George Mason, and and I you know, originally thought I was just going to go down the coaching route, um, degree undergrad in uh, coaching science, and then uh, doing the youth soccer coaches um, thing, and the, and I think you know game changer actually is I, um, two thousand four actually. Uh, lived for two months in Prague and took a coaching course at Charles University in Prague and it was more scientific than anything I had taken to that point and it was just kind of a game changer I think for me of like this this mixture of coaching and science um, that direction and, and just kind of seemed to mesh and came back and win the master's program and um, again but still thought I was going to be doing something related to still coaching youth development talent development and uh and then got the opportunity to go to Kansas City and MLS, two years, um, and then Seattle ultimately for nine years. And then as you know, that that was time was going along. This you know, high performance management mm-hmm. role started kind of evolving. Yeah, I mean, we'd be, ten years ago, these positions didn't didn't right. exist. You know, it's kind of as as clubs organizations are um, putting more money into this side of the equation. It's. Uh, you know, it's, it's, op- it's created jobs, it's created different, um, organizational structures. So, um, it just kind of a right place and right time. And then, uh, I was recommended to, uh, you know, John Hammond and Jeff Weltman, um, in 2017, and they reached out to me and it seemed like a really good fit and kind of the next step in terms of challenges dealing with, you know, obviously some of the best athletes in the world. And, um, you know now we're in year three.
3: It's interesting, David, so we were talking before you came in, and so in 1989, when the magic start, right, we've got 12 players, we've got three coaches, we've got an athletic trainer, and we've got Rodney Powell, you know, to <laughs> kind of keep us all in line and everything. No strength and conditioning yeah. coach, you know, it's just, and you talked about it, your job is not available 10 years ago. but. What's always interesting is how in the world did we get along <laughs> with yeah. you know? Because what we I see now, if I had as a player, mm-hmm. I, I it would have. I mean, I can see my career extending. You know, just there's just so much there. Does it amaze you of what oh, yeah. sports used to to look like before
2: all this technology and knowledge? For sure, I think it's that. You know, we're living in this world that's becoming more highly specialized as you're as we're moving along, and you know, whether it's uh, sports science, strength conditioning side, where it's the medical side, where it's the analytics side. When you think you know, how many of these teams now have eight to ten analytics people that didn't exist as well, um, I think clubs are willing to invest more money and energy into trying to make you know what you might call it marginal gains like there's this concept of squeezing another one to two percent out of things um through investment in basically areas that people had not thought of years ago and i think every kind of generation kind of ups the ante a little bit um and and now you know we've evolved to i mean i think my staff now is like a staff of roughly 10 people you know between medical strength, conditioning, sports science, nutrition, psychology, all those things. Um, Analytics is, you know, the same, you know, six, seven, eight people there. And um, that's, I suppose, where there's more finances and there was more financial gain, people are not willing to invest
1: more money, essentially. You came from a soccer background um, as a player and uh, in terms of your, uh, your, your job is uh, high performance in, in terms of athletics. What, what are the, the similarities between soccer and basketball? How, how does what you do relate with both athletes? And maybe what did you have to learn about basketball players that uh, are not exactly like soccer athletes?
2: I mean, I think part of what makes, I think the challenge of, of my particular job and why I, why I really kind of got into this side is it's, it's kind of, and Jeff, you can attest to this is like, how do you manage these athletes over six, seven, eight months without them kind of falling off the tracks, right? How do you, what I kind of explain it, like, how do I triangulate the right people around these athletes to keep them going? Right, And it doesn't matter what pro sport, what team sport that is. Typically, you have long seasons with a lot of games and a lot of travel. And how do you actually monitor these guys, assess where they're at, give them what they need at the right time? Um, uh, it's almost like I, I kind of say, it, it's not these like day-to-day changes. Um, it's really, uh, I I'd equate my role sometimes like you are a... Uh, pilot of an oil tanker and you're just got to slowly get the oil tanker in, you know into the dock safely um you you can't do anything radical from day to day you just have to kind of get everyone together and just get everyone to the right place and work with the coach the coaches management and just just refine little things so that the team is healthy strong as fresh as, as as possible um Knowing that you're 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 never going to get the optimal, you're always trying to just kind of make the the right little decisions. Yeah. So, um, having said that, I mean ba- basketball is is far different than soccer from the standpoint of um, you know it's obviously a lot more vertical sport, a lot more
0: a little a bit more jumping, um, <laughs> a little more height probably for yeah, you. <laughs> yep, yeah, a little bit more height.
2: You know the types of injuries are are. In a lot of ways, totally different because you're dealing with a ton of ankles, knees, fifth mets, patella tendon, Achilles. Those are, you know, a lot. In soccer, it's, you know, the quad and the hip flexor and the hamstring and you know, kind of more soft tissue stuff. So there's definitely some some differences when you actually look at the demands on the athletes. But but the the principles are the same. And like, how do you manage this group of athletes together with the coaching staff to get them where they need to go
1: over? 82 games. And you're not working with machines, you're working with human beings who yeah. have different personalities and different different things that motivate them. So you have to get to know these individuals before you can really help them, I would guess.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you have to, from our side, we have to kind of get to know what makes them tick, what motivates them. Um, we have to kind of understand their their bodies as well and get the right people around them to understand their bodies. And then, then the flip side is they have to you know, buy into what we are offering and then, you know, get the trust from us. And, and um, you know, once we kind of have have their trust, then it's really this you know, kind of two-way communication, this companionship of how do we take that athlete and get him what he needs over the course of a season.
0: You know, it's interesting. There, there's one example, I think, of Jonathan Isaac who played 27 games as a rookie and kind of in, in your field, now you, you want to get this guy back as soon as possible but you want to get him where he can stay on the floor, right? So what what does that when – you, when you have to diagnose this player and put a game plan together, what are some of the, the technology you can use, the whatever programs you can use to, to bring him back stronger? We, I mean, knock on wood, but that's not been an issue since he's been back on the floor now.
2: Um, it's funny because it's, it's – even in year one when we were um, – yeah, I had several talks with Jonathan in year one as he was going through you know, some of the the ankle issues he had, and I remember kept kept saying to him, "Okay, like when we're when we're planning right now, okay, we're, you're going to come back, but we really we have to now that we've been with you for three six months, we have to have a vision of where where are you going to where do we want you when you are 25? Mm-hmm. This is where what's peaked Jonathan Isaac is like a 25 26 from a, from an athletic standpoint. Um, gonna be and then how do we get you there and buy into the fact that whether it's you know the weight gain and the explosiveness and um you know the 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 strength and balance and then how do we get all those things through education of you know sleep diet nutrition Mm -hmm. um uh pre pre pre-practice habits like all these little things that kind of you build in so that Jonathan had a good idea okay one year 25 26 this is what you're gonna be like and then this is how we we get you there um, and and now that um, now that he is I mean far more of a man when you see him like he's sure. just you know I mean he he's not physically mature either and I think that's you know, one of the biggest um, I think surprises to me coming in the NBA was we're drafting you know we draft, kids essentially that can 18 19 20 years old that should be college uh, sophomores usually mm. and with the one and done you know a lot of times they're they're in college for a very short period of time They they may or they might may not lift weights um, the coaches are just trying to get them through their one and done type season uh, and and that's that's and then you have today's you know generation and, and let's be honest I mean I most of us have kids in this room, and mm-hmm. the, if you left it to the kids, what they would eat on a daily basis would be, you know, could you use some work? Hmm. Um, they do
1: pick
0: what they want to
2: eat, yes. by the way, ours. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> And so then,
2: how do you, yeah, you're in this phase, this essentially like this, we have to be their college, sophomore, junior, and senior years, and how we give them life habits for how they're gonna be a professional for the rest of their career. And so it's, it's easy to take a snapshot of a guy at 19 and make a judgment on him. But I think, you know, our job is to, again, layer over these habits of what does someone like Jonathan need or, or, or most one-and-done guys, like most guys who were drafted in the first round who are one-and-done guys, uh, they're not fully aware of uh, what an NBA offseason should look like, how to eat how much sleep they need over the course of a season, how to take care of themselves through all the travel. And those are things that we have to teach them. And it doesn't happen in a month. Sure. Right. Cause everyone, we all go through this process of you don't know what you don't know. And so mm-hmm. they actually have to understand that there's a big gap there that they need to fill in, you know, and, and, and you see what Jonathan just happens to be one of the most intelligent, brightest, you know, people, young men you'll ever find. And he picked it up. You know, now he's reaping the benefits of really picking all that up.
3: Are the young guys that come in, are they receptive? Because, I mean, I... You know, I, I most when I started, most guys were three, four year college guys, and then you, you, you know, a lot of veterans, a lot of older players, and even back then, it wasn't unheard of. You know, if you were hungry right before the game, you know, you send the one of the yeah. ball boys out to yeah. get a couple yeah. of cheeseburgers <laughs> at the local McDonald's, and you eat those. Guys weren't really receptive to change. This is the way I've always yeah. done yeah. it. I mean, do you find that the younger players maybe are more receptive? Absolutely. To-
2: I mean, I think the. The downside of having all these young athletes come through the program is they have no habits. The, the good side is they're relatively receptive to taking in the really good habits mm-hmm. in the right environment. So I think again,
3: they don't know what they don't know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah. So they had they haven't formed super strong opinions of like this is what works for me um, because we can look them in the eye and say you've never played an 82 game season, you've never gone through all this travel, that you're you're about to go through something your body's never gone through before, let us help you. And I'd say, you know, across the board, it's been, you know, the response and <clears throat> what they've taken in has been fantastic.
3: It's interesting, Dave. I was gonna ask Dave to kind of follow up on the, from your soccer background and everything, and you mentioned you, you took a, a coaching yeah. class in, in Prague and everything, I spent, I played two seasons in Italy, kind yep. of like trying to recover my career after a disaster in New Jersey, my first pro <laughs> debut. You and,
0: didn't like your time in New Jersey? Uh,
3: it was just a little challenging <laughs> for never me. never heard but that. A great time. I didn't know yeah. that. I did not. Um, it wasn't the, the highlight of my career. <laughs> okay. But anyway, so I get over to uh, to Italy, and it's the first time in my life I've been introduced to um Athletics, you yeah. know, like um, movement drills yeah. and um, massage yeah. and things like that. Our, our whole team, the the whole philosophy of, of basketball teams, even on the pro level in Italy and Europe, was it was a soccer background. Yeah. So, how big an influence you know we always talk about the european influence international influence on the nba is that an influence maybe the knowledge were we behind maybe the
2: that european training method a little bit yeah and i think especially i think on the therapy side in which you've seen now i mean you you reference the the single athletic trainer uh with the teams in the you know in the 80s and 90s and now we've moved to a stage where a lot of teams are having two three or four physical therapists with the team all the time and players are getting manual therapy and there might be a massage therapist as well and um part of our you know from a physiological standpoint see how are we managing tissue essentially a lot you know as guys tighten um uh, as they feel stiff like how are you addressing that and that can be therapeutic and then through you know, some, some movement type work, as you've said. Um, but it's, uh, definitely a big evolution, you know, and I think that's, um, whether it's soccer, whether it's, you know, the, some, some of the pro cycling, you know, where the, the cyclists have their, their masseuse that travels with them year round. I and mean, it's, uh, something the Europeans have been doing for years and, and, and now, um, and I think also what's happened with the NBA is the NBA, uh, as athletes have kind of gone out and got their own guy, organizations have responded by significantly increasing the, the, ther- the number of therapists that they have on staff now as well.
1: You mentioned it's been about 10 years since this thing really started taking off the high performance, the scientific training. Um, also in the last five to 10 years, a new term that we're all now familiar with is load management. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what goes into determining for a medical staff on a pro sports team, particularly a basketball team. uh, How do you decide what the proper load management is for any given player?
2: I mean, it's funny, because I think uh, it's surprising to me at times within the NBA how load management is such a hot topic, because essentially uh, in soccer, load management is just what you do. And how load management manifests itself in soccer is, you play a game on a Sunday, and you assess on a Monday or Tuesday how how fatigued is each player, and how do you load manage that player over the course of the week prior to the next game, so that he is recovered, <laughs> right? And like that's it's not that novel, you know. It's like there's nothing. It's just logical to me, mm-hmm. right? If, if his hamstrings are sore we're going to load manage and he's going to do less high speed running over the course of the week so that he doesn't pull a hamstring between now and the next game, or he doesn't go into the next game with a tight hamstring that will affect his play. Um, And and it's very rarely from that standpoint, load management has less to do with, okay, affecting minutes games played or whatever. Um, And obviously within an NBA season, when you have three to four games a week, then, you know, it is still, in a sense, to protect the player, um, but it's been, I think, somehow mistranslated. I think you know a lot of the early load management terms came from you know teams. I think using Australian sports scientists, and um, they use the term load management quite often. Um, and it's essentially, you know, my philosophy, preferably, is always you load manage in the days between games. That's when you get your best load management. How do we underload as much between games so we never affect playing time? It's kind of been spilled over into load management meaning we're gonna play guys less minutes, but I don't really that's not that's not the real intention of, of how the concept of load management started. Hmm.
1: Interesting. So when you look at what the Raptors, for instance, did last year with Kawhi Leonard, did that surprise you a little bit that he would just you now, and not not just him, but I mean, we see it all around the NBA that there are players that just miss a game, two games, three games. Yeah, I mean, I sporadically. Think, Does that that surprise you a little bit that others look at it as they do?
2: No, no, not at all. Because I think that it's it's funny. Like the the if you look at any of the research on injuries, your number one uh, risk factor for injury is previous injury, right? So. um how I like to think about it is it it is we actually proved we can do it last year but it is rare when someone goes from playing 40 games in a year to 80 games in the next year with no problem like that's actually a it's not a normal thing right because your body slowly adapts as load is applied to it so and then the flip side is you know 82 games in an NBA season like that's that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of stress, <laughs> right? And so that is not a normal amount of stress to put on any athlete. So um, that someone would choose to come up with an option to say, okay, well, instead of playing 82 games, maybe 60 games is a lot better going into the playoffs. I think there's, there, there's logic behind that um, from, from purely from a health, freshness, because ultimately the goal is for you know certain players to be fresh when it counts the most and when the team's in the playoffs. But there's a Kawhi conflict. stand. Yeah. In,
3: in Kawhi's mm-hmm. instance, he's coming off as you mentioned. Yeah. He's coming off of a injury, serious right. injury. Yeah. So maybe that load management. That you know, yeah. Yeah. Using what you ju- you just said, that makes a little bit of sense. Mm-hmm. Sixty games as opposed to eighty-two.
2: Yeah, I mean at, at at a micro level, it's kind of like well, if I bench pressed 100 pounds a day, should tomorrow I just do 200? Mm right? Or if I got hurt, I'm coming back. Should I go, you know, in, in, in a short period of time from what I just, you know, a hundred pounds when 200 is normal for me, I'm coming back from an injury and in two weeks I'm going to get back to 200 again, right? Just from a, uh, you know, a, an easy example. I think load management is still very controversial, but I think ultimately the teams are just trying to you know,
1: create freshness and health in their players. So you make, re, you must make, your staff makes a recommendation to others and then it's ultimately- Yeah, now, now, now having decision, said right? that, like I think
2: the Kawhi situation is different because while well, they, they're one of the top teams in the league, they knew where they were gonna make the playoffs. And so having Kawhi fresh for the playoffs was something that they prioritized. A large number of teams don't have that luxury um so you have to try to get the the highest seating possible and um, you know I think that's um, my you know my philosophy too is always like the the coaching comes first and what's what's important for the team winning comes first and you know we have to win every game possible um, so
1: it's a tough balance sometimes, isn't it yeah,
2: yeah yeah uh, there is this kind of like what the the philosophy of you know try to um, lose a battle and win a war at times I mm-hmm. guess but um, no I think what as I've it's a very important f- the relationship with the head coach and whatever team I've been in it's always been extremely important um, and I you know my my starting point as I kind of go in and like talk to coaches is always like this philosophy of uh, you can do anything you want today anything like we we can we can do anything we want you can do anything with the athletes you want today we might have to adjust tomorrow based on what your decisions are today but you know our decisions are based on a coach has to do whatever he has to do today knowing that we might have to make more adjustments down the road based
0: on it so i think that's a great point i think that's what gets lost on fan i don't think fans understand not that fans have to understand the industry but uh, but you hear about it and you you're taking all the information you can you're gathering all the you and your team you're making your assessments and you're making you're presenting it to the coach to the general manager to the president of basketball operations or or i imagine you're making decisions about things yourself you and your team how how does that how does that work how how does that relationship work
2: yeah i think it's about how would we say it i think it's about it's some about Decisions, but I think also we live in the space of um, uncertainty and probabilities. And I think that's what sometimes gets lost, you know, like clearly going back to the Kawhi example, Kawhi, could he have played 72 games and been fine? He could have mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. like, but we, we don't know, you know, so, so you were dealing in the space of um, trying to convey that there is always an uncertainty in all these situations and trying to as a group arrive at making the best decisions. You know, I think it's about, um, using some of the science together with the goal of coaching and then trying to come up with what is the most, uh, you know, the best decision in each particular
0: case. I think we got a terrific example, David, and I think we're, we're watching Markel Fultz now through a couple of games and every opportunity he gets, he's talking about this organization. He's talking about the trust, he's talking about how you know, this organization took him in, worked with him the entire summer, helped him get kind of back to where he is now. Just touch on, we've heard his side, just what can you tell us about your side and your team and the relationship you guys have with Markel?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've kind of said earlier. I think the first, the starting point, from my standpoint, is trying to. I keep using the word triangulate, but triangulate the right people around the athletes, mm-hmm. and I think as Markel got here, you know, we we kind of assessed early on that you know I had, uh, you know, our physical therapist here, Samir Meta, and um, Nathan Spencer, rehab coach, Australian rehab coach. Mm-hmm. And then you know, Coach Hetzel as well were kind of those guys that did early on just a ton of work around Markel. Um So much where you know Samir essentially was with Markel, uh in L.A. on vacation in the summer, and then it is you know it is camp in Damatha in uh, in August, and just basically spent spent the entire offseason just getting to know his body. You know, kind of so well um, I think with the coaches um, the work they did with him was fantastic and you know I think you see with Markel just the the confidence he's regained and how you know kind of well he's responded to the mm-hmm. the environment of the people that have you know we've kind of put around him it, I mean, it's it's obviously a testament to the work Markel has sure. done um, but again I think it's just hopefully it's an example of when you find the right people around an athlete that buys into what they're giving him. He just he kind of takes off like he has. A
0: little different than that metal thing that's strapped to your knee, right? When you were...
2: <laughs> well, you know, I just, it's, <laughs> that it's
3: funny. Nice brace you I, I sit, you know, like we watch <laughs> Dave and his team from, you know, the periphery and we see all the work they're doing and everything. Dave, So in, in ni- so it would have been 93 in April, I tore my ACL, had surgery the next day. The theory back then in the early 90s was you don't need all this time. Yeah. You can get back on the court in six months. Yeah. And so when training camp opened in November of the following year, I was right there. I had my Don Joy brace on and everything, not very long because I didn't like it. And I was going, but yeah. subsequently you know, three more meniscus tears and, you know, it's kind of going to what you're talking about. So, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I just think there's just so much, such an advantage for players these days if, as you know, that's why I asked are they receptive because if they'll listen and take all the information in. I wanted to ask you, there was an article recently and I think ESPN had a, about the, I don't know, it's the, it's the secret that nobody wants you to know about, you know, and I'm referring to about movement. the sleep deprivation in the NBA, and um, maybe it's a serious problem. I don't know that fans really understand our schedule, that an NBA schedule, what it's like. Is that something you see, you, you worry about, maybe, with the guys a little bit? and, and so could, Are they getting enough rest?
0: And can you explain to my wife why I'm tired when I'm <laughs> She thinks I've been off for five days. Exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that was definitely... Uh, again one one of my uh adjustments from MLS to the NBA was um the rhythm of everything and you know in MLS there's no charter flights so that normally means you stay overnight everywhere but then you're up early the next day after a poor night of sleep bussing and you know waiting to go through um uh the metal detectors and you know and the baggage claim and all that sort of different you know versus the NBA where yes you have your charter jets and um, but it also means landing back in Orlando at somewhere between one to two a.m. Um, as you get back from these away games and ch- and then you're back in but typically. you it's funny. It's like that, that that drive from the hangar back home is like just enough to wake you up, Absolutely. so you can't just go That's back exactly to sleep. Right. That's exactly right. It's a good point. And and so it's not it's not, oh, we land at one, so well, we can be we'll be asleep by one like, thirty. No, it's <laughs> you land at one, you get back at one thirty, one forty, and like I said, it's like the the concentration of driving is just enough for whatever 20, 30 minutes. We're now it's three o'clock before you can fall asleep. Um, I, I I do I do for sure know that if you don't um, if you don't create an awareness around that, then you will go into the sleep deficit that significantly uh, undermines your performance kind of long term and recovery, um, regeneration, and all those things that you need sleep for. Um, I think having said that it's there are strategies you can use to really combat it, but it is how you use naps and sleeping in and um, days off and, you know, things like that. And, and again, I think it's it's also what is refreshing, I think, is I do think that the coaches and management are more aware of the impact of sleep now than they used to be. I think there used to be this kind of mentality where, oh, you just push through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. just tired. Just deal with it. Right. You know, where now, we're now.
1: tired. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. They're 21. They're yeah. 23. Yeah. They can deal with it. They're
2: 23. They can deal with it. Whereas, again, I think it's actually – the young athletes that need the most sleep. Um, so, so we have some things, or just things like uh, whenever you land, <clears throat> we don't really want to see people in the facility within nine hours from when we land, just so guys can go home, they can get eight hours sleep. Um, we do, we do like, um, especially young players, to you know, kind of come in and get the work they need and do whatever they feel like they need to, um, post, um, even if the team's not practicing that day, they can come in, they can get therapy, they can lift weights, they can shoot, you know, with their coach and they'll do all those things. But, uh, um, we'd prefer them get eight hours of sleep before they do it. Um, you know, so yes, long term, I think there is an adjustment period. It, it can clearly be an issue. But I think if you're very vigilant, I think you can find little areas, times to get your sleep to hopefully keep up on it. But you have to have an awareness around it, too.
0: I think the last thing, David, and then we'll let you go. We appreciate the time and the insight. But you, you said 10 years ago, these jobs weren't here. So we've seen the advancements in 10 years. Where's this thing headed? Where 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 do you think, ideally, if you could kink for a day and this is what I want, where where is this where is this thing going to be, you think, 10 years from now?
2: I, I don't know. Like, I don't, there, there clearly is always, there's clearly is more specialists. um And I don't know, it's funny because it's, I see my role is more of a, a generalist role, right? So my role is the generalist is how do we get this team of specialists together working together? Mm. And I don't know if more specialists is better, like, is there a tipping point where more specialists, you know, know, part of the challenge is staffs get bigger. You have to keep working to make sure you all have the same philosophy, you're all working on the same page. Coaching staffs get get bigger. You know, know, I've heard of people that I know at other NBA teams that can have, you know, six to eight uh, player development coaches now that work with guys all the time. So the player development staffs are getting bigger, coaching staffs are getting bigger, medical performance staffs are getting bigger. Is, it the, is Are we moving to a point where, you know, every player has his own development coach or, you know, right. born therapist right. or... Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the players clearly benefit from the individual attention, and I think um, the players kind of thrive as they have their own guys. Organizations have taken on more of that, of bringing in bigger staffs. Um, I, I guess I don't necessarily see it changing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, uh, it's hard to tell.
0: Well, it's interesting, and it's uh, it's certainly the proof is in the pudding. We're seeing these guys, and knock on wood, we had a very healthy year last year, and hopefully we can get the same thing here this year. We appreciate that the time, that. and uh, and we'll promise to see you in the gym tomorrow. You know, I feel uh-huh.
1: I feel better about going and getting the nap now. too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dave made me feel like that's okay. So that's I'm good. okay. I'm good. And to the go.
0: fact You've got that a strategy. It would Dave. surprise. Plan. It surprised me. The younger guys need it more than you and us. That does that cho- shocks me. You know, I can't
1: imagine anybody that needs it more than I do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks David We'll see you. We'll see you, okay, thanks. We'll see you in the man. gym. All yeah, right. that's right?